We need also to put in place the breastplate of righteousness. We've taught the fact that this righteousness that I place that protects uh, over my chest, protects my emotions and my thinking, that if I put on a breastplate of my own righteousness, I'm going to get nailed. The breastplate of righteousness that I need to place on myself is that which has been given to me, extended to me, imputed to me by Christ. It's His righteousness that I need to put on. Then last week we talked about preparing your feet for the gospel of peace. Shoes that are given to the believer, your feet with the gospel of peace, shoes that have been given to the believer that stand, helps us to stand firm. To stand firm when the battle comes against us so that we're not moved. It's simply this. God is at peace with you. God is on your side. When the battle rages, you need to remind yourself of that truth and stand firm in it. God is not the one out to get you. Now we're ready to move on to the next piece of armor. As we do, I want you to notice a very subtle change it's important to catch. Look at the first part of verse 16 with me. It says, in addition to all this, now we've talked about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes of the gospel of peace. Verse 16 introduces the next three pieces of the armor. The shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit. What I want you to notice is that there's in this introduction of these three pieces of the armor comes a subtle but important verb change. The first three pieces, the belt, breastplate, and shoes, are all referred to in the past tense. That is the concept there is that you put the belt on and you keep it on. You put on the breastplate of His righteousness and it stays there in place. And you better put on the shoes of peace and not ever take them off. Those are not pieces of equipment that I put on, take off, put on, take off, put on, take off. Those things, believer, you put on and they are to remain on. They're to be part of your life, your day in and day out life. Leave them on all the time. Always be committed. Always be standing in His righteousness, not your own. Always be assured of and standing in the peace of God. Let me try to help you catch the thrust here in verse 16 because it changes. In addition to all this, take up. The verb changes from past tense to active. Take up the shield of faith. It, means, it may seem subtle, but it's significant. There are times in our life when the battle heats up, right? There are times in our lives when there's kind of a lull in the battle. Things aren't so bad right now. Nothing really out of the ordinary, nothing that I'm really struggling with. Things are relatively smooth on every front in my life. And when things are going well, again, you don't dare take off your belt of commitment. You don't dare take off His righteousness or trade it for your own, and you don't take off the shoes of peace. Here's why. Lulls in the storm don't last, do they? They never do. 
So when the battle comes, when it heats up again, and you know it will, having the belt and having the breastplate and having the shoes already on, now in addition, in addition to those pieces of armor, I need to take up the shield of faith and take up the helmet of salvation and pick up the sword of the Spirit and begin to really enter into the battle that the enemy has brought to me. There's a difference in the battle from time to time. Life experience tells you that that's true. There are times in life when the battle changes in intensity. When it does, I need to be picking up the shield, strapping on the helmet, getting ready to wield the sword. With that in mind, I hope you get that picture. Let's take a closer look at this next piece of armor which God has provided for you as His children, the shield of faith. The shield of faith. Remember, Paul has in mind here a Roman soldier. So regarding this shield, he, it's, this is not the small round shield from the movie of Spartacus or the 300. The shield of the Roman foot soldier is approximately four feet tall and two and a half feet wide. A soldier could quite literally hide his whole body behind this shield. These shields often had hooks on the outer edge which enabled them, which enabled them to be hooked from one shield to another shield side by side creating a movable, most often advancing, protective wall and a top covering literally called a tortoise shell. Picture this tank coming down the street, the stone roads with the, with the soldiers with the hobnail boots and the crashing on those stones and the shields in front, the, sh the shields over the top. Just the appearance and sound is intimidating. The foot soldier's shield was made of thick wood but overlaid with metal, at times even small animal bones, and overlaid over that thick leather. And basically, nothing could pierce it. In those days, one battle strategy was for the armies to wrap the ends of an archer's arrow with cloth, dip it in a tar-like substance called pitch, which was lit just before it was sent into the air. And as those volleys came, when they hit their intended target, the pitch would splatter, increasing its effectiveness. To combat this, Romans would soak their leather-covered shields in water prior going to battle, thus rendering a fiery arrow ineffective. Verse 16 says, Take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all of the flaming arrows of the evil one. So what are the flaming arrows that the evil one shoots at you? Designed to set fire to some area of your life. If you want to be able to withstand those times when the arrows are flying and things are burning up, you better know how to take up your shield of faith. What arrows are flying at you, maybe even this morning? Some of you didn't even want to come here this morning. 
Have you ever recognized whatever it is that comes a wave at you about not going? It's the enemy. And most often, when it's really heightened, it's because whatever's taking place that morning, he doesn't want you to hear. Some of you didn't want to come because the arrows are flying. And the last place the enemy wants you to is to come be part of the body of Christ. What are your arrows? Things that the enemy repeatedly bombards you with in your life that leaves you feeling pierced, wounded, defeated. For some of you this morning, it's the fiery arrow of discouragement. Discouragement, that elusive, I don't even know why I feel discouraged, I just feel discouraged kind of attack. The fiery arrow of guilt, that vague sense of condemnation, you're not even sure exactly what it is, you just feel bad. I must have done something wrong. You hear the promises of God, but you're not able to embrace them. For some reason, you don't feel free. You don't really feel like forgiven. Yeah, I know I'm, I've been told I'm forgiven, but I, I don't know. The fiery arrow of loneliness. The fiery arrow of fear. The fiery arrow of failure. Not just spiritual failure. I mean, we all stumble in many ways. Failure, let's say, though, in your career isn't turning out or your future goals aren't quite turning out and you just feel personally like you're failing or are a failure. The fiery arrow of peer pressure. Family tension. Seems like no matter what you do, no matter how you pray, no matter how you go out of your way to try and make things right between you and your kids, there's still this tension and rebellion and you can't communicate Fiery arrow of financial tension. Fiery arrow of temptation. Whatever that temptation is for you to stumble. And you just can't get rid of it. It plagues you. It clings to you. I want to tell you something. Just from my own experience in the warfare, I know this. That when the arrows really start flying and they're coming in waves, I need something more than my own determination. I need something more than my own resolve. I need something more than my own wisdom. When the arrows are coming in waves, I need something more secure behind which I can hunker down and find some kind of strength. And God has provided it to me in the shield of faith. To explain it, I need you to picture this battlefield Satan on one side, you as a child of God on the other. Now, Satan's chief tactics, we, you know his name, right? The father of all lies, the accuser of the brethren, the deceiver. He comes to trip you up with lies predominantly to get you to fall back in your, orm, your former way of living. Hey, it's really better the way you were doing it. This is really hard the way you're trying to walk this way. And to begin to think in old patterns that you used to think. Because he doesn't want you to walk a worthy walk. He doesn't want people to see God making a difference in your life. 
He wants to discredit you. He wants to discredit the God you desire to serve. His skill, if you will, is to present you lies that look like truth. Satan's got his brand of truth, and then there's God's truth. Satan's got his brand of love, and then there's God's love. Satan's got his brand of giving, which is really taking, and then there's the God who gives. When I'm confronted with the options that Satan gives me and the options that God offers me, I have a choice. I either choose to believe what Satan is telling me is true, or I choose to believe what God is telling me to be true. That's why last week I said that spiritual warfare is really a truth encounter. I choose to believe what Satan tells me or I choose to believe what God tells me. The shield of faith that protects me against the lies of Satan is going to th- that he's going to throw at me is brought into the battle when I take my stand and say, I choose to believe God. And you, Satan, are a liar. Listen, who I believe, what I believe, Satan or God, who I choose to believe will determine absolutely what I do. Let me explain. God says this to me. Tim Pofferl, you are... In Christ, and since you're in Christ, you are, right now, holy and blameless before me. You're forgiven. You're loved. You're accepted in the beloved one. You're an heir, not an error. You're a son. And everything in the heavenly realms is available to you. Everything that pertains to Christ pertains to you. And that's true of every one of you if you're in Christ. But Satan says, (laughs) are you kidding me, Pofferl? I mean, look at your past. Yeah, I I know what the Bible says. Uh, I know you go to church and you feel all warm and gooey after you sing. But look at your life. Look how you screw up. Look at what you've done. Look at how you stumble. You may go to church... And you've gone through all sorts of things, but, and, and look at the mistakes you've made, repeated mistakes. Yes, the Bible talks about forgiveness, but do you really feel forgiven, Tim? You're not forgiven. God's not going to forgive you. He doesn't forget. Satan bombards with these flaming arrows. What does God say about you if you're in Christ? He says, you are forgiven. And I've taken every sin and cast them as far as the east is from the west. That is what's true. You are accepted by the Holy One. To literally, as we said earlier, to come right into His presence at any time. He sees you as valuable. He affirms you. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not a mistake. You are God's divine workmanship. Satan says, no, you're not. Who do you believe? 
think how you live tells you what you believe. How you live tells you what you really believe. See, who we believe is going to determine how we act. You are forgiven. You are accepted. You are valuable. You belong. Yet we still battle with this vague sense of guilt that I'm unworthy, the sense of I'm unforgiven, or that one thing, unforgivable. Anyone ever feel like that? To think that God's forgiveness, maybe for that one thing, is beyond you. Who you choose to believe, what you choose to believe is going to determine how you live. So when the arrows fly, take up the shield of faith and say out loud, let me tell you again, Satan cannot read your mind. The demonic realm cannot read your mind. They can plant things in your mind, but when you fight this battle, you need to do it out loud. Listen, Satan, you're a liar. I'm going to stand on the promises that God says about me. I choose to believe it. I choose to believe Him. I am a child of His, and I am forgiven. That posture frees me up to serve. Not because I'm so great, because you know I'm not. It's because of who he says I am and who he's making me to be. And I believe it. And that's what it means to walk by faith. Now let's take a moment and look at how the shield of faith can protect us specifically against the arrows of temptation that come. I can take you right back to the Garden of Eden for this example. God says this to Adam and Eve, if you want to have fullness of joy, you want to have fullness of fellowship with me, continue to walk with me in the garden in the cool of the day, the fullness of God all your life, do this. I want you to refrain from eating the fruit from the tree of life. There's God. So what he says is true. Satan comes along and lies. Come on. The truth, Tim, the truth is, and the same was true for Adam and Eve, God just wants to spoil it for you. He wants to take away your fun. The fruit is really fun. It'll be good for you. Bottom line, what you believe, who you believe determines what you'll do. God says, don't. Satan said, go ahead. Who do you believe is what you do. Satan said, it's good. Adam Adam and Eve believed the lie. And there are times in our own hearts that we do the same. We too, faced with a choice, have gone the same way from time to time. I've come to the realization, biblically, that as long as I am in this fleshly body, Satan has a place to land in my life from time to time. 
He's going to try to pull me in certain directions. And what affects me may not even show up on your radar. He's got something else how he works with you. But God says, Tim, keep your marriage undefiled. Cling to your wife. Love her. Protect her. Tim, within that matrix, you will have fullness of joy. Satan comes along and says, don't be a chump. Look what you're missing. Bottom line, who do you believe? And who you believe determines what you'll do. The shield of faith is choosing to believe what God said about me is true. When I pick it up and act on it, the arrows are extinguished. In this particular dimension of my behavior, I'm going to find fullness by listening to the truth, believing the truth, walking in the truth. Satan offers up all sorts of things. And every time you grab them, you'll find out it's a lie. The shield of faith when I choose to believe God. Now, let's consider how this works when dealing with financial tension. I probably shouldn't even use this example because I know none of you struggle with this. God says this about my financial issue. Tim, put me first. Trust me with your finances first and I will take care of your needs. He says, Tim, give and it will be given back to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Satan says, those promises are fine, but they don't work when you lose your job, Tim. They may make you feel good, but if a recession hits, you need to watch out for yourself first. Or maybe he'll tell you this lie. That thing you really, you really want, you can afford it. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you can make that work. You actually need it. Listen, this is really important. Who do you believe? It's easy to believe God when everything is going according to how I think it should. But when my world gets rocked, Satan is always right there shooting a barrage of flaming arrows. The question, if circumstances in your life unfolded as such that it was all gone, whatever it is for you, work, gone, Lose your house. If it were all gone, if it were all gone, would it change the truth of who you are in Christ? As we've learned about in Ephesians 1 through 3. If it were all gone, would it change the truth that if you keep God first, He will supply your needs? 
If it were all gone, Satan would say, come on, your God is not supplying your needs. Look at all you've lost. And he's not going to supply your needs. Don't be a fool, arrow after arrow after arrow. Who are you going to believe? Because who and what you believe determines ultimately what you'll do and how you live. Application. I want to give you some homework. For this week in this context, I want to invite you to spend some time this week reading Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, often referred to as the Hall of Faith. But when you do, what I want you to pay attention to is what each person mentioned there and how in the midst of circumstances that they faced, they believed and trusted God. Person after person, faced with difficulty, they clung to God and His truth. Abel, Noah, Abraham, Gideon. And I would encourage you to memorize verse 6 of chapter 11. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him. See, each example of Hebrews 11 is an example to us of someone, in spite of their circumstances, who hung on to and believed God. They acted on that belief. They did something according to what God had told them was true, believing that what God said is true, that is the shield of faith. People who don't believe God never win the battle. Let me say that again. People who don't believe God never win the battle. With all my heart, I believe that we've been called as believers to live in the reality that we are in a war. With flaming arrows all around, I don't think we can ever play it safe. But if we are trusting and believing God, I also don't believe we can ever lose. And never forget this, something that is part of the DNA fabric of Dover Church. Life on life, authentic life on life. Not just on Sundays, not just a small group, 24-7. We need to do life together. We need each other in the battle. Here's a lie. Ever get this one? You're getting beat up. You may have even succumbed to getting beat up. You may, you may have made some bad choices. Oh, whatever you do, don't tell anyone. Just keep it to yourself. You'll be okay. Anybody believe that lie? I'm the only one. When you stumble, when spiritually you're getting beat up, 
thought life wrecked, emotionally spent, you've gone weary and tired, your faith is wavering, I need you to come alongside of me. I've been listening to a lie. I don't even realize it's a lie anymore. I say, this is what I'm dealing with. I need somebody who can speak the truth in love, who loves me and says, Tim, that's not true. That's not who you are. That's not who God is. I need you to come alongside of me and walk with me. We need to do life together. In those times, when I begin to think or feel, this is too hard, it's not worth it, nothing's working, whether it's in marriage or with your kids or in ministry or at work, I need someone to come alongside me. And listen, just like the Roman soldiers did with one another, I need you to come alongside me and lock shields with me because sometimes I need your faith to help protect me. to speak some truth and hope into my life so that I can believe God again because believing God defeats the enemy. Here's the picture I want to leave you with. I told you that that shield is big enough to hide behind. Literally, if I got separated from my group or something and I'm getting nailed, I literally could drive that shield into the ground and hunker down and hide behind it. No hope of going forward I can't turn around and retreat. I'm stuck there and I'm getting pummeled. And what Roman soldiers would do is one would come up on this side and one would come up on this side and another one and another one. They put a shield over the top and together they would rise and often not retreat but go forward. So when you send a text to somebody in your small group, prayer request, a phone call, maybe it's as simple as this. All you can mutter is, I need you to lock shields with me. And that would be code for you to go to prayer on behalf of your brother or sister. You know what? You don't even have to know what's going on. The Spirit of God does. Amen? Let's pray. Do we have a closing song? I don't think so. Yep, all right. Stand up. Thank you. Father, I'm just going to pray what's on my mind right now, and that is that you would, as you send us out today, you would give us courage to be honest and open with people in our lives when we're struggling when we're getting beat up, ask others to join with us to fight the battle. I pray, too, that you would teach us how to fight the good fight, that you would teach us what it looks like, what it sounds like to out loud do battle against the enemy, to speak truth of your word and your character back in the face of the lies. Pray that as we do, and we do it in the strength of your Spirit. In fact, Lord, I pray that this week, 
when someone here, maybe all of us, are attacked by the enemy, an arrow that reminds us of something from our past, that what would come out of our mouth out out loud is we would remind Satan of his future. And remind him that we've already won in Jesus Christ. Remind him of what happened at the cross. Remind him of what happened at an empty tomb. And remind him of what's ahead for him and every spirit of darkness. Help us to fight the fight and thank you for all the provisions you've made for us and the victory that you've provided for us. Help us to walk in it, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you.